following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Does anyone here watch The Masked Singer? Or The Masked Dancer, I think is one of them too, right? Well, this is The Masked Preacher, and uh, no, it's not Colonel Sanders. <laughs> You might not remember who Colonel Sanders is, but for those of us in our 50s, he was an icon. All right. Super. I did test negative on the rapid test today, so I'm glad to take the mask off. Uh, we were in Florida this weekend with the masks on. It's, when you get older, you get hard of hearing. I don't know if anyone else has that issue, but it's... With the masks and the muffled, and it's like, huh, what? And your kids are like, I'm so embarrassed to be with this old guy, but we survived and got back without any difficulties. Well, thanks for having me here today. If you want to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to try to answer a question Can you see me? You know, it's a weird kind of question. But hopefully by the time we get to the end of this Ruth portion in chapter 2, you'll understand where I'm headed. I'm going to need this later, but there we go. Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Try to read them slow. And then we'll get right into it. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the heirs of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, the overseer, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, and do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, 
For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz went to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the Son of God. And you are the Lamb of God. We ask that you would have mercy on us. We ask that you would pour out your grace on us. For we need your strength. Father, we pray. that in the generosity of your kindness that you would open up our eyes to see you, to really enter into what it means to experience you, not just in our heads, but also in our hearts. And I pray that when you allow us to have this vision of Jesus, that it would change us in such a way that we would want to represent Jesus to those who are around us, who are in great need, even those that we think that are okay and are not. May our eyes be open, not only to your spirit, but to your spirit's leading. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope at the end of this, you're uh, grateful to be here as well. Um, I just want to start with just a simple question. Do you ever feel unappreciated? Anyone here ever feel unappreciated? Okay, just a few of us, huh? Not everybody. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm like, that. <laughs> I would raise my hands with red flags and all, all the other stuff. I think one of the reasons, and there may be many reasons, why we feel unappreciated is that we almost feel unseen, right? I don't know if you uh, work from home or not, but uh, there are times maybe you, you get the house looking really clean, and uh, your spouse comes home, it looks great, and uh, you're like so happy, and you want to show off, look what I've done, the house looks great, and they look in the sink and they go, you left a cup. Feels unappreciated, right? And, and you struggle, I worked hard all day, and that's the only thing that you recognize. Uh, there's a sense of, I don't, I, don't feel like I've been, I don't feel like you've seen what I've done. Uh, does anyone ever wonder why we yell when we argue? Does anyone yell when they argue? Is that old stuff, or Anybody? Am I, am I the, I'm like, I got red flags on that one, too. <laughs> I always wonder, why do we yell? And uh, I thought about it a little bit. This is not the only answer, but I think one of the reasons why we actually yell, is it's not to win the argument. I mean, I don't know if you've ever yelled, you raise your voice. Uh, you're not really winning. I mean, even if you, in a sense, beat the other person into submission, you really haven't won the argument. Really, what you've done is lost a part of the relationship. So you really don't win. So why do we yell? And I thought about it for myself. I think the reason why I yell is because I feel like I'm not being heard. And the only way that you're really going to hear me is if I yell, which is kind of counterproductive because you're not really listening anymore because if you're in that argument with me, you want to raise your voice. Why do we yell? Because we feel like we're not seen or why we're not heard. 
Recently, I, I asked my youth group, I, I said to them, uh, what emotion do you think that I experienced the most? So I'm going to ask you, what emotion do you think that I experienced the most? Just shout it out. I know you have masks on, and I know that I can't hear really well. Uh, if I like your answer, I'll repeat it. If I don't, I'll change it. Anybody? What emotion? Okay, I'm going to say that you said compassion. Is that right? <laughs> I'm only saying that I couldn't hear it, but I'm going to say compassion. Uh, compassion would be a good one. I mean, that's the YouTube kids. They said, yeah, compassion, compassion. Uh, anybody else? Did, did somebody say love? Thank you. You think I'm a very loving person. Nobody said love. I'm hurt. One of the girls in the youth group said anger. She was right, though. Because when I speak, a lot of the emotion that I feel is anger. The reason I feel angry a lot is because I feel like I haven't been seen. I feel like I haven't been heard. We went to Florida this last week, and um, we're at Universal Studios. And you know the, the old Harry Potter thing? There's which, which house are you from? Gryffindor, uh, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, or Slytherin. And uh, I took the, the quiz, and my daughters were like hoping I was in Gryffindor because, you know, that makes their dad kind of like the hero type. And uh, I'm thinking about it all. While we're taking this quiz, I'm thinking, you know, the reality is, uh, based on the cultural expectations of that kind of fictional setting, I'm definitely Slytherin. Um, I can be mean. Uh, all, all inside my heart, though, I want to encourage you. I don't show this to people. But in my heart, there's, a, there's like this meanness. So if, like, if you really knew me, like that girl knew, it's like, and it wasn't my daughter, by the way, who said I was angry, uh, although she says I'm grumpy. But, but the whole sense of who am I? Do you really see who I am or a projection of me? And what I want to talk today is about what it means for Ruth to actually be seen and how it's going to change her life and then how it actually changed us. Because I think one of the problems that we have with so much anger in our culture today is that people really don't feel like someone sees them or hears them or even cares about them. And the only feeling that we can respond with that frustration or that anger is to strike out. And I want to hopefully get us to see that there's another way that we can deal with this by actually seeing people and help change their lives as well. So what's the context to the book of Ruth? Uh, I think pastor, uh, pastor, sorry, Dr. Steve, uh, well, he's a pastor too, pastor, doctor, apostle, whatever you want to call him. He's not here today, but uh, whatever you call him, hopefully kind words, because he's a wonderful guy as far as I know. But he's done a, a series on Ruth, but for me, he's probably set up the context of Ruth Context is found in Judges 21, 25, where it says, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then we come to Ruth chapter 1, and we meet this man named Elimelech. Elimelech is in the land, and there's a famine. And usually in scriptural times, famine means that God is judging the nation because they've gone wayward. They've gone rogue. They're doing their own thing. And God is saying, listen, there's a famine. I told you, you would feast. If you followed me, there will be famine if you don't. Now, I don't know why Elimelech made this decision. I would like to criticize him from like 2,500 years ago or, or whatever it is, but I think that would be unfair. I've never experienced a famine. Some of you are looking at me and going, yes, you have not. Okay, I get that. But if my children were going hungry and I knew it, I think I would do some desperate measures. So I would like to say shame on you, Elimelech, but I think the reality is most of us as parents would want to do whatever it is that we can take care of our kids. Either way, in the end, Elimelech's decision, I think, was not based on his trust of God, 
but his desire to meet needs, which isn't a bad thing. And then in the end, his decision really hurt his family quite significantly because when they went to Moab, and I'm not saying they went to Moab and they died because of that, but he did die, his two sons died, and his wife Naomi now has two daughter-in-laws, and she's impoverished and has to return to the land. So that's kind of the context. Uh, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem, and the people start pointing fingers and going, oh, is, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? Oh, Naomi. And I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation where you've left somewhere and you come back and you see that everybody's kind of whispering. Have you ever seen any of the Harry Potter movies, you know, like when they whisper? You know what I'm saying? A little bit too much universal vacation time for you. But anyway, uh, it's kind of like that whispering that's going on. And uh, Naomi says, man, I, I left Naomi, but I've come back and I'm just bitter. Amara, I'm bitterness. I've just had such a horrible, difficult, rotten time and I've come back to this and I've got nothing. I'm a widow, I'm poor, and I've got this Moabite daughter-in-law. Like, oh, what's going on here? And that's when we come to chapter 2. And uh, what I want us to see when we get to chapter 2 is, who is Ruth? This is very important. Who is Ruth? And I want us to see a couple things. I want us to see that Ruth is a foreigner because she's Ruth the Moabite. She's a widow, she's poor, and she's looked down upon. Now, how do I know that she's a foreigner? If you ever read the Bible and you read it slowly, you'll notice when things are repeated, they're trying to say something important. So if you look at verse 2, the author says, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi. In other words, Ruth, the foreigner. Ruth, the foreigner. So if I were, um, <clears throat> you could look at me and say, uh, Frank, the Polish guy. I mean, I was born in America, but you say Polish. That separates me from everybody else, right? So everyone sees Ruth. She may look like everybody else, same skin color and everything, but they said, that, no, that's Ruth the Moabite, definitely Ruth the Moabite. That's what the author is saying. But she's not the only one. It's the same thing that the overseer or the servant of Boaz says. Slip down to verse 6. Because Boaz asked in verse 5, who is that woman? Verse 6. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman, the foreigner, the one who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, that foreign country. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the foreigner. She is definitely, clearly a foreigner. In fact, even she says she's a foreigner. If you go to verse 10, slip on down there. Let me get to verse 10. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. Now it's important for us to see that she is a foreigner because she is an outsider, right? You don't call, you don't, you don't come up to your, if you have kids, you don't come up to your, hey, uh, foreigner number one. No, you don't say that. You, you call them by their name because they're somebody. They mean something to you. They're your child. Like I would say to my firstborn, Christina, hello, Christina. I wouldn't say foreigner. I wouldn't call her alien. I might call her weird because she can be a little weird sometimes. But I'm not going to make her something else that she isn't. But everybody, when they see Ruth, they don't see Ruth. Bless you. What they see is Ruth the Moabite. They see Ruth the foreigner. The person is different from everybody else. Imagine if we had somebody come from another country and they wore the uh, clothes that they normally wear for themselves. So I'm going to say if we had someone came from India and they came in in a sari, would we not all notice that? There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But immediately in our minds, there would be a category that go, wow, that person is different from us. 
In the same way, when everyone sees Naomi, they go, oh, yeah, 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 that's the foreign woman. She's, she's not us. She's them. They're seeing her, but she's being seen as them. Now, not only that, but she's also mistreated. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> Look what Boaz says. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men to touch you? Now, why do you say something like that? Because you're concerned that someone's going to touch you. I, I love vacation. I'm just I thinking about this now. On vacation, we're coming back, and uh, we're supposed to be in a row together, the family of four. I mean, I have five kids, but the other ones didn't want to go with us because I'm too old and they're too young. But we're on the plane, and my daughter's sitting next to somebody that I don't know. So what did I do? I texted her, don't let anybody touch you. Why am I saying that? Can anyone figure out why I'm saying that? You could talk to me. It's okay. Or not. And if I like your answer, I promise I'll change it. Sam, you want to guess? That's right. They might touch her. That happens on airplanes. I mean, I'm, such, I'm the foolish guy who watches a 9-11 documentary before getting on a plane. Who does that? Me. I'm the goofball that's reading how, uh, the, how people on planes are abusing other passengers while they're sitting next to me. So I'm telling my daughter, don't let anyone touch you because it is a possibility. It, it happens. So what Boaz is saying is don't let anyone touch you. I know you're having a hard time. I know you're having a difficult time. I know people see you as a foreigner and they don't treat you right. But that's not where it stops. Verse 10, look what she says. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? In other words, I'm a foreigner. I know it. Everybody tells me I'm a foreigner. They treat me like a foreigner. I'm not really treated very kindly, and yet you are being kind to me. I don't understand why you're showing me so much favor. Slip down to verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Again, you've been kind to me. No one else is kind to me. But you're kind to me. Wow. And in verse 16, this is kind of like a, a sandwich in all of it. Uh, Boaz says, uh, also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. In other words, don't mistreat her. Treat her kindly. You see, she's a foreigner because she's Ruth the Moabite. She's a widow. She doesn't have much education, let alone job opportunities at that time period. She's poor, which is why she's gleaning. She's being looked on. If you have this picture of Ruth, you have a picture of someone who is in some very difficult circumstances. And people see her, but they only see her as a foreigner, as a them. Until what? Until Boaz comes along. Because Boaz sees her. He sees her. He sees her. He, he, he says what? He says, you're Ruth. You're the one young woman. I've heard about you and all the things that you have done for your mother. I see you for what you've done, but I also see you for you. You are Ruth. You are a person. You are made in the image of God. So my kindness is an expression of how God wants to treat you. You see, we see people every day. 
You can go to the store and you can see people and you can walk around the store and there may be a hundred people in the store. Or you can go to Universal or Disney and there are thousands upon thousands of people there. You can see them, but you don't really see them until you see them the way Jesus sees them. No one in Bethlehem saw Naomi and Ruth as anybody but them. Oh, that Naomi. Oh, that one. Oh, Ruth, yeah, the foreigner. The them, them. I mean, she's really way out there. She's, she's a Moabite, man. They don't even let Moabites into worship, man. She is like so far out there. Yeah, they saw her. Saw her clearly, but they didn't see her for who she was and for what she had done. Now, there's a whole bunch going on here in Ruth chapter 2. And I've given us kind of a basic outline of what I think God would want us to apply today. Because my next question is this. Why does this matter? After talking about all of this, why does it matter? To me, if I'm reading this story, Ruth could have been asking these questions. <clears throat> First question could have been, where's God? I dedicated myself to the God of Israel, and yet I have all these difficulties. We are so poor, we can't afford to live, that I have to go out there and pick up the leftovers. Where's God? Could have said, why doesn't God help us? Why doesn't God do something that really actually helps us? I don't understand. Does God even care? I mean, look at all of this. Does God even really care? Those are, if I'm Ruth, I'll be honest with you, those are questions I'm asking. It's questions maybe she was asking, but she doesn't give up. She doesn't give up. Because I want to propose to you that God actually saw Ruth and Naomi, that he cared for them, and that he wanted to provide for them. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't provide Ruth with a vision. Ruth didn't have some vision of the angels coming down and singing glorious songs and telling her, it's going to be okay. It's all good, man. It's going to get... No, none of that. No dream. No super really cool dream. In fact, no one handed her a track. No one came up with her those four spiritual laws from the First Testament and said, here's the four spiritual laws. Read this and God will, will provide for you. No one even gave her an Old Testament because you know what? They didn't even have one. She didn't have any of these outside things. What God would do to provide was to provide a person. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you watched Marvel's What If? Okay, don't be ashamed now. Sister, a little higher, a little higher. Because I don't, I don't want us to be the only two people. We're the only two people that have watched Marvel's What If? Okay, a few others. Okay, see, when you're old, you don't have as good of a peripheral vision either, I guess. In the What If, I get frustrated because there's the narrator who's called the Watchman. And the Watchman is supposed to be like God, very powerful. And what he does is he watches all of these scenarios and all he does is watch. Even if things are falling apart, all he does is watch. It's so frustrating. I'm watching this show thinking to myself, if I had God-like powers like they had, I'd want to intervene constantly. But he just watches. And sometimes the feeling is that God just watches. But that's not the God that we follow at all, right? Because when you hear that, that's not true at all. Because God is very interactive, isn't he? I mean, think about it. Jesus, before incarnating before dwelling among us, sat on the throne 
receiving the worship of angels, and yet he humbled himself. He did incarnate. He did dwell among us. He did live among us because that's the kind of God that our God is. He interacts. He involves. But why isn't he doing that for Ruth? And why doesn't he do that for us? Why doesn't he come down and give us this vision? Why doesn't he come down and give us this dream? Why doesn't he provide this miracle? Because he works through people. See, that's the thing that really catches me about this story, is that he does care for Ruth and Naomi. He doesn't give the vision, the dream, all the other stuff. What he does do is providentially bring Boaz into their lives. See, Boaz is the one who's going to change Naomi's life. Now, admittedly, theologically, it is only God who does that. I get that. But he uses people. He uses Boaz. Boaz is the one who on that day says, you know what, I'm going to go check the fields. I don't know why God's leading me. I'm check the fields, check the fields. Hey, who's that? Who is that over there? Oh, that's, that's the Moabite. That's the foreigner. That's the them person. He said, no, we're not going there. We're not going to do that them thing. I want you to treat her like she's one of us. You take care of her. And you know what? I'm going to show you how to take care of her. He speaks kindly to her. He gives her gifts. He provides for her. You see, what God does in order to reach people so that they might actually be seen, not just seen with eyes, but seen with mind and heart as well, he provides other people to act as his hands, his feet, and his heart. See, because when we look around us, what we often see, especially in churches, people who are all put together. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this. I'll just raise my hand alone on this one just before you. I'm not all put together. I wish I could tell you, you know what, I'm up here and I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm all set. I feel like I just know everything and everything has been good in the past and everything's going to be good in the future because I've got it all together. And the truth is, I don't. I, I have to confess every day, I need Jesus. And sometimes, many times within the hour, I need Jesus. Has anyone here ever seen the movie Dear Evan Hansen or the Broadway play? Am I the only person that gets out? <laughs> yeah, it's, starting, it's starting to make me feel guilty. <laughs> All right, no more TV for 2022. <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen is a movie. We went with our youth group, so that's, I could do that because, you know, you go with the youth group. And uh, it's a very interesting movie. I'm going to blow it for you. If you haven't seen it by now, too bad. Uh, but the movie is about a high school student. He has some very severe mental health issues. And it starts out focusing on him and how insecure he is and how he feels in the crowd. And, and, you, and you just get a, you get a feeling for him and you're like, you're, hopefully you're hurting with him. One thing that they show you later on in the movie is the class president who's involved in everything and helping everybody. But she sees Evan Hansen. Because one day they're talking and she says, so what medication are you on? In other words, I see you. You have mental health issues. And he's taken aback like, what? How'd you know? And she goes, because I do too. You see, everyone looks around and thinks, man, she's got it all together. She's got it all together. She does not have it all together. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay because that's where Jesus comes in. That's where other people come in and say, you know what? You don't have it all together. You are not all okay, but you know what? I want to represent Jesus. I want to be, <coughs> I want to be that Boaz for you. I want to enter into your life, and I want to see you for who you are. I don't just want to see you as all put together. I don't want to see you as the perfect person that you aren't. I just want to look at you like God looks at you and care for you like God cares for you. 
Has anyone ever seen the Netflix series 13 Reasons? Just lie to me. Everyone raise your hands. <laughs> I, I watched that show, and this is the... I, I, by the time we got to the 13th episode, like the last 10 minutes, I was bawling. I was yelling at the computer, don't do it before this girl took her life, because that's the whole story. I just ruined it for you, sorry, but if you haven't seen it, don't watch anything else afterwards, because I heard it gets bad. But just that first season, because it gives you, and the whole time that I'm watching that, I'm thinking to myself, where in God's name is the one Christian that will come up to her and say, I see you. I see you. I see you in your hurt. I see you in your pain. I see you in your struggles. And I want to come alongside of you and help you carry that burden. And I tell you all these stories, not because I just want to tell you stories, but because what I want to say is this, and I want to say it as clearly as possible. God sees us. All of us here and all of them, which I'm not really calling them, out there. And he wants to express his heart for them. And the only way he can express his heart is if his people will understand that they are seen by God. And then God wants them to go and see other people and minister to their hearts. And this is what this story tells me. Because God sees Naomi. And God sees Ruth. And he doesn't do something super special for them other than send one of his servants, one of his children, to say, I see you as well, and I will be kind to you because God is kind to me, and in His kindness and in His generosity, I want to pour that upon you. And I want to say this, and I mean this wholeheartedly. I've been at Harvest for 16 years, and I still feel left out. There are many times I'll be in a meeting and I feel like, dude, I feel like a foreigner, I don't feel like I belong here. Whether it's a youth group meeting, which I'm supposed to be leading, whether it's a college age meeting, which I'm supposed to be leading, or in a staff meeting where I'm a partner with everybody else, there are times where I feel like a them. There are times when I feel like my life is not all together, and I need someone to see me. And I tell you this because even the most put-together person has those seasons in life. Where God sees them... (coughs) But nobody else does. And they're hoping and praying that someone will see them. So no matter who it is here, my encouragement, my challenge is this. Who can you be Boaz to? Who can you be Jesus to? Who is someone that you can see, actually see, (coughs) and say, I see you for who you are. And I want to be kind you and I want to show and express God's love to you and I would believe that if the church could do that actually just care actually just be with people and extend mercy and extend grace and generous kindness that people's eyes would be opened up and say wow hold on a second I'm a them I'm a Ruth I'm a Moabite I'm a foreigner and yet you still see me how is that possible It's possible because God has seen me. God has seen me in my mess. God has seen me in my sin. You know? Like my kids wanting to see Gryffindor and Harry Potter, all they get is Draco Malfoy on the inside, if you know what I'm saying. 
God, his heart, his hands, and his feet are us. There is not another plan. <laughs> I mean, it's really cool. You know, in the Muslim world, we hear God gives dreams and visions and stuff like that. Different context. In the context that we are in, God's call for the church is to represent Jesus by being people who will see other people for who they really are. Not for what others make them out to be. And then to go and say, Jesus loves you. And you know how I know that Jesus loves you? Because I love you. And how can I minister to you? How can I help you? How can I feed you or clothe you or visit you in prison? It kind of sounds like something Jesus would say, right? Because that's how we represent him in the world that we live in. That's how we get to be Boaz. So let me just finish with this simple challenge. Who will you be a Boaz to today? Or this week? How will you represent Jesus by being that Boaz who sees another person for who they really are to come alongside them and to care for them because they too are made in the image of God? They are not a them. They are a person who God deeply cares for and loves just like you and me. And the simple call, you don't have to have a doctorate in theology or apologetics. You just have to have a heart that cares and loves others and sees people just like God does.